0: Good morning. Glad you could be with us here at Hope Bible Church on this Lord's Day, the week before Christmas. And indeed, the weather is refreshing and beautiful. Uh, I know some of you like it a little bit warmer, but anyway, the Lord gives us variety and, and that's good. But, you know, it's interesting. You look at those Christmas carols we sing. And I know when I was younger, you sing songs and you don't really know the words. I, I'm still learning the words. The words are phenomenal. I mean, every one of them, it, you really have to go over it and just read it because it's just so encouraging as you read those and see how it relates to Christ and our lives as well. And I think Steve might have mentioned this, but by but, but every one, there's something about salvation there too. And I think every one we sang today, there's something about Christ saving you. Or um, Anyway, it's, it's very it's very encouraging. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 111. I just wasn't thinking of reading this, but in this context of what we're going to be going over today. Psalm 111, the first few verses. Psalm 111, verse 1. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart, in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is His work and His righteousness endures forever. Think of those verses in the context of God's overall plan to bring His Son into this earth, to bring about the birth of His Son. And what we see, and what we're going to be talking about today, is the Old Testament and how most everything in the Old Testament is moving towards, leading towards, pointing towards the coming of Christ, His birth, that is. And you look at this, great are the works of the Lord, they are studied by all who delight in them. I'm just going to give you a brief study this morning. Very, we, could, we could spend, really, eight, nine, ten weeks on this message today. Just an overview. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. Uh, on one hand, you think about God and what he did, sending the son down to this world, and you think, wait, well, he just could have done it. It happened one day, and it's over. He had an overall plan that is ex- extremely complex, extremely detailed. Why? All those ways, I'm not sure, except for I know God has his ways. They're higher than our ways. He wants to work through people, and it's for his glory. And so today, I want to talk about, again, I'm not going to cover everything, but a lot of things in a summary form about how things and events and people in the Old Testament, they're moving towards, they're leading towards, pointing then to the birth of Christ. That is, that is, why did it happen? What are the reasons, and what does the Old Testament say about the birth of Christ? First, there's the reason for the birth of Jesus Christ, and that is the problem of sin. I believe we're all aware of that. Genesis 1-2, we know that God created man, and unlike the animals, man was created in God's image. Back in Genesis 1 and 2, man was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. They had a perfect relationship with God. Amazing. They walked with God perfectly so. Genesis 3, we know the story, Adam's man sinned, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And as Genesis 2 talks about, verse 18 or 19 there, says the result of sin is spiritual death. And so that time when they sinned, we read there in Genesis 3, they spiritually died. Not physically at that time, but they spiritually died. And they then were cut off, they were separated in their relationship with God. Genesis 3.15, turn there. Genesis 3.15 is a prophecy tells us what's going to happen. Genesis 3.15. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. What we're talking about there just says that there's this spiritual conflict and what we're going to see is this huge spiritual battle between the devil and between the woman. The woman, that is, speaking of God's people. And one of the woman's descendants, that is, Jesus Christ, would be the one, then, to defeat the devil. And with that, defeat sin, and with that, defeat death. So, first, there's the problem of sin. That's why Christ had to come. Second, we see, the second overall principle, we see that God worked through people, specifically through the Israelites. You go to Genesis chapter 12, a uh, these verses, of course, are familiar to these 12 verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. What we see is that God chose to bless the world through Abraham. That's, that was his plan and through his descendants, who are the Jewish people who are the Israelites. And this blessing then would be both physical and be both spiritual. But our focus today is on spiritual blessings. And again, we see that the key to this blessing is the person of Jesus Christ, descended of the woman, and he will come down and save man from his sins, so that then he would be the means by which people could be blessed. As as Jesus said, you know, the verse in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one Comes to the Father through me. And so from Genesis 12 to the last chapter of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, it focuses primarily, not exclusively, but primarily on the Israelites and how God was working with them and through them. And their primary purpose then was to bring forth a Savior into the world. Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 verses 3 to 5 talks about this too and other places do as well. Romans 9 verse 3 says, I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom belong the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Verse 4, then summarizing some of the Blessings and privileges the Israelites had. But then it says, Whose are the fathers and from whom, from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever and ever. Amen. That is, the woman. From the woman would come the Christ. It says in the flesh. Physically, he would be born. That was one of their primary purposes. And if you want to say it in one thing, I would say maybe their single primary purpose was that. And so... Then we go to Matthew 1. We're talking about how God works through people. And again, this is a summary. It's, it's just amazing. Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham to King David and then to Joseph. Of course, who we know was Mary's husband. And this genealogy, and the one in Matthew 1, establishes the right of Jesus to be the king. For he was a descendant of King David. He was in the kingly line. Then you go to Luke chapter 3. This gives a genealogy of Jesus from, from Adam to Abraham to David to Eli. and Eli was Mary's father. And this establishes the right of Jesus to be the savior.? okay? And there's a couple reasons. One is, he was a son of God. Very interesting. The last verse of that genealogy, you know what it says? It's, it's going in reverse from the Matthew genealogy. It says he's a son of God. He's a son of God. That's the last verse of that gene- phrase of that genealogy. But we also know. Hey, he's, you know, Mary is Eli's uh, uh, daughter and from Mary then was born Jesus so Jesus was also the son of man he was the son of man and the son of God and therefore he had the right to be the savior he could be a mediator between God and man so way back in eternity past and this was amazing God ordained who'd be his ancestors who'd be Jesus' ancestors who'd be in Jesus' genealogy and nobody in, gene- in Jesus' genealogy was there accidentally nobody God, everyone planned out just the way that he wanted. I mean, every single person, you go through that. I, I, lo- I, love, I love that truth. And when you read the Old Testament, and you look back at these two genealogies and all the other ways and people that God worked through, you see that simple truth is that God works through people. God chooses people to do his work. You go to Genesis 5, and you go to Genesis 11. All these people are talked about there. This person, this person, this person was born. God work through people. You go to First Chronicles, probably the, one of the best summaries of, of God's working with people. Their names, that is, is First Chronicles chapter one through nine. Just person after person after person, and it all connects and relates to Christ and His birth. It's not—it's not, it's not a matter of He's going to lay out all the people, but there's a reason, and it would take some further study. There's a reason why certain people are mentioned in the Bible. And those genealogies, those listings, it's, it's just amazing. But, but the point I say is this, is whenever I read those, and sometimes it might seem boring. Okay, I'm reading this person, this person, this person. First Chronicle can be a real slow read. But you realize that every person is important. Every person is part of God's plan. And you think of that for yourself, too. You're not just here. You're not here by accident. You are not here by accident. God planned you to be here for a reason. Who you are, where you're born, time and place, all those things. So we see, first, that there's a reason for Christ to come because of man's sin. Secondly, we see that God worked through people. Third, we see that the devil continually opposes God's plan and his people, the Israelites. Spiritual battle. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was with child and she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she gave birth he might Devour her child. This is talking about the dragon here. In verses 3 and 4, the dragon, of course, is referring to the devil. But you'll read there first that this woman with this crown of 12 stars, that symbolizes Israelites with her 12 tribes. That's what's going going on. But it says she was with child. She's with child. That's going back to her purpose. In the Old Testament time, was to bring forth the Messiah. All those things. She was with child. And, and, and this child is a Messiah. And, and Israel, again, primary purpose during her 2,000-year Old Testament history from Abraham to Moses to Joshua to the judges to the kings to the time when she was exiled, about 600 B.C. or so, to Babylon. And then the time she came back 70 years later. And for the next 500 years, God was working, but there's all this opposition going on. That's what was taking place. The woman, the nation of Israel, was in pain during those years. Very interesting. She was in pain. She was in labor. A 2,000-year labor is what it was. We all understand expectant mothers, you know, and and turn right before the, her birth, in the last hours or day or whatever, she's going through labor and it's painful. Okay, that's what happens. And what does this mean for Israel? More specifically, what does it mean? Okay, let's let's go back to Revelation 12. Verses 3 and 4 talk about this red dragon, which is the devil, and the seven heads and the ten diadems. And this is uh, talking about this enmity between the, the woman and, and the devil. And the devil was working through these seven heads to oppose the woman. The seven heads refer then to seven evil kingdoms. And the devil's purpose then was to wipe out, was to defeat the the Israelites, so that the Messiah couldn't be born. That's it. The devil knew what was going to happen. The devil knew at least that much of God's plan. Not everything, of course, but some things. He knew that much, and he was, he was determined, determined. And so you have this 2,000-year history of the opposition of the devil because he did not want Christ to be born. And so the first kingdom was, was Egypt. We understand that story. Was against Egypt, you know, against Israel. Then you go to Syria then you go to Babylon, then you go to Medo-Persia, then you go to Greece, then you go to Rome. And, and the Old Testament, again, I'm giving you a big picture summary. The Old Testament describes how each of these kingdoms opposed the Israelites and, in a sense, and opposed Christ and did not want her to be born. But in every case, every case, God rescued the Israelites. I mean, it was a tough time. It was not an easy existence for Israel those, those years and it was a spiritual battle that they were facing. Now, verse 5, Revelation 12:5, says, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. It's the, the economy of words there. I'd love to take more time over this. But the point is, she gave birth to a son, a male child. He's to rule all the nations. It doesn't talk about him being a savior. It talks about him being a king, and that's the context then as we move on through Revelation 12 and chapters then that are following. So this, verse 5, refers to the sixth kingdom, the Roman Empire. And you all know the story about King Herod. He heard about this little baby being born, who's to be a king. And, of course, Herod didn't want anybody challenging his rule and authority, so he made the order to have all the little babies, ch- two and under, to be killed. Okay, We understand that, and that, that happened. That really happened. It was prophesied in the Old Testament, and, and Herod did that. It was a terrible thing. But we know the story. Joseph heard from the angel. They got out of there in time. They escaped to Egypt. I'm not sure how long they were there, but they went down to Egypt, and, and, and so he was delivered. And see, there's no way that God's going to let the devil thwart his plans and keep his son from being born on earth. There's no way. Turn to Psalm 33. I always like this to think about God's purposes with us, but specifically it's talking about the Israelites. Psalm 33, 10 to 12 psalm 33 and it's important even in these days to, to think about verses like this verse 10 the lord nullifies the counsel of the nations if any of you watch any bit of the news at all you know that people and countries and nations have all kinds of plans oh man sometimes you're sort of well you know i don't like that that don't sound good He nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. See, in context, it's about Israel. The plans that I have are not going to be thwarted. The devil's not going to win. Not at all. That doesn't mean it may not at times seem like the devil's winning, even in your own life. Man, it seems like I'm getting beat up a lot here, Lord. I, I don't know if I'm winning or not in this Christian life. Well, God helps us. We are winning. We struggle. We all know that. There's difficulties. And the Israel, again, they were in pain. They were struggling. The devil was, was after, after them. And so, so what I'm saying, when you read the Old Testament, you see, and this goes back to that Psalm 111, you see God's amazing and powerful work with the Jewish people, all leading up to the birth of Christ. So when you read the Old Testament, keep that thought in mind about this is all leading up to the time of Christ. I mean, even I think of, you know, the story about Jesus and the road to Emmaus and with a couple men there, and they're wondering about what happened, and, and there and with the disciples later, read on into Luke. He was explaining to them, using the Old Testament, using a lot of the thoughts we're talking about today. That's what he was doing. He's trying to explain these things. That my purposes were going to be fulfilled. A few chapters, these are on the handout you have if you get it from the back there, but there's about six different chapters I know of that are extremely good at giving the big picture. What I'm doing today is giving big picture, okay, about Christ. And a lot of, most people just want to, you know, they go, that's fine. They'll go to Luke 2 or they'll go to Matthew 1 and let's talk. That's fine. I love big picture. Next week we'll go into the details, but today's big picture. Six chapters. Six chapters, Psalm 78, Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Psalm 136, and Nehemiah chapter 9 and Acts chapter 7. Great chapters. This history, this history of Israel. It do you well to read them. Again, it's so important we have a big picture of what God is doing and a big picture of our own life as well. Okay, that's the third thing, is the opposition. Fourth, we see that the Old Testament animal sacrifices were pointing toward the sacrifice of Christ. Genesis 3. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, verse 21. It says, The Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So where did the garments of skin come from? Some animal. He had the garments of skin. That means blood had to have been shed. Okay. Next chapter 4, verse 4. Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offerings. And um, where does it say it here? Where does it say he killed them? Does it say it here? Well, anyway, verse 8. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So the point is, here's the first bloodshed, first human bloodshed. And so you get the indication that God's setting up a sacrificial system. And then you go to Exodus, and you go to Leviticus, and in great detail, God explains to the Israelites all the sacrifices they were to make. And there were a lot of them, and not all. Many of them were blood, animal sacrifices, and blood was being shed. Turn to Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. Leviticus 17, verse 11 We understand here a little bit about this concept of blood being shed for forgiveness. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. So it's equating life with blood. All of you have blood in your bodies right now, and if you didn't have any blood, you wouldn't be alive. We know that. And so he's equating life with blood. So in the shedding of the blood, that means there's no life. And this then what makes atonement. That's that's what he's saying here. So there had to be this shedding of blood for there to be the atonement of sin and for God then to declare a person righteous. Hebrews talks a lot about this. 1 verse 9.22 says, All things are cleansed by blood, and without shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. That's just how God wanted it to be done. So this whole Old Testament is... All these sacrifices that, that the Jews had to perform. All these, all these sacrifices. And the book of Hebrews ex- explains in a lot more detail how these Old Second Testament sacrifices are pictures of Christ's sacrifice. And that his sacrifice then fully and eternally and perfectly then is that what dealt with a person's sin. So again, we, we see this, this theme. Uh, turn to Hebrews seven, twenty three twenty seven. This theme of sacrifice is then clearly displayed then in the Old Testament and explained more than in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter seven verse twenty three to twenty seven says the former priest on the one hand, this is the priest of the Old Testament. Existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it is fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like these high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. That is, he sacrificed his own life. He was a perfect priest. That's, that's what we see. That's what we understand. And so all these sacrifices then, and there were millions of them in the Old Testament. There had been millions. were to help people see that they were sinners, that they were sinners in need of a Savior. And that they're all leading up to, these are all leading up to, and pointing then to the time when Christ, the perfect sacrifice, would come. And the one chapter that is probably, probably one of the best. I mean, there's some good of the New Testament, but Isaiah 53. And, of course, many of the Jews did not understand it. They're talking about Christ's sacrifice and delivering us from our sin by what he did for us. Really explains explains what Christ did then for us. Next, there are the types of Christ which are pictures of Christ and his purpose. Now, I could spend literally... Four or five Sundays on this subject right here. And I'm just going to take two or three minutes. But there's types of Christ that are pictures of Christ and his purpose. And these are people. These are animals. These are places. Or these are things that are pictures of Christ, that speak about Christ, that somehow point to Christ. Even though maybe many in the Old Testament back then didn't understand, what is this? Now we can see more clearly. Let me just mention these. For example, there's Adam. And, of course, he was the first Adam. Christ is the second Adam. Then you have Abel. The, he's a picture. First one whose blood was shed. Then you have Abraham. And you have David. And you have Melchizedek. The story of Jonah in the whale for those three days. And then, of course, there's Noah's Ark. And that's a picture of Christ. Salvation through Christ. There's the Ark of the Covenant. And there's the brazen serpent. that serpent up on the pole. Read about it. In John chapter three, there's the sin offerings, the scapegoat. You know, sending the scapegoat out, putting the ha- putting the sins metaphorically on that goat, and sh- send them out in the wilderness so they're gone. Paschal lamb, the red heifer, the mercy seat, and the cities of refuge are all pictures of Christ, or all types of Christ. Every one of them, and we can go back to the Old Testament, look at every one, but that's what they were. They're all again pointing to this Christ who was to come, the birth of Christ and the life of Christ. So we have the types of Christ. Next, we have the prophecies, and Steve mentioned this. I, I don't know how many. There's a lot. I'm just going to mention a few here, some of the more common ones, the Old Testament prophecies, again, that are pointing towards Christ, this one who was to come. Micah 5.2, one of the classics that Jesus would be born in this little town of Bethlehem. There's two Bethlehems, and Bethlehem of Ephrathah was the little one. Isaiah 7.14 predicts that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Psalm 1 to 21 talks about Christ's Crucifixion and also his enemies. Isaiah 53 tells us a lot about how Jesus died, helps us understand what his his death meant for us. Psalm 16, 9, and 10 tells about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Then you've got Zechariah 9, 9 says that Jesus would be riding on a donkey. Zechariah chapter 11 talks about how Jesus would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Then Daniel 9:24 tells that Jesus will be cut off at the end of 69 weeks. We have to understand that a week back then could mean, just means a period of seven. Read the context, you understand this week's, a week is seven years. And so we know then there had to be 483 years after the decree uh, to build the temple, to rebuild the temple, before then Jesus would be cut off, okay? Again, this prophecy. So we have all these prophecies pointing towards Christ. And every one of these are powerful in and of themselves, but you put putting them all together here. Second, seventh, we know that God worked through Mary to bring his son into the world. Turn to Luke. Luke chapter one. Of course, now we're talking about, go you know, from prophecies to types of Christ to one particular person that God really used, which is amazing. You think the whole thing, the whole history of the world, there's one person who would be the mother of Jesus, and it was Mary. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great story. It's a great truth. Verse 26, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of sal- salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. <laughs> you wonder what she thought when she heard that. Whoa. <laughs> now, again, back in those days, the women the godly women, the young women, they understood, hey, they could be the mother. They knew that this Christ was coming. And there was this hope for, man, man, maybe I can be the mother. And she understood this. I can't help but think there's this connection in her mind as she heard that. Then he goes on to say, Gabriel, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. So here's Gabriel telling Mary, that she be the mother of the Messiah. And Mary is young. Again, we don't know, but back then people got married young, 12, 13, 14, something like that. But she was a godly woman. She was one who attended the synagogues. She was no doubt a believer. God would not have his son born of some unbelieving woman. She was no doubt a believer. And, 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 I, and I can't help but think that she understood then that this Messiah from the Old Testament, he was to be the Savior, But also the king. We know, you know, back then most Jews were read their Old Testament and understood it. You know, the king is coming. You know, the Isaiah chapter nine passage that Steve read. Hey, this is all about a king that's going to rule over us. But not everybody understood this concept of hey, we need a savior. We need somebody to save us from our sins. I believe she understood that. I believe she understood that Jesus was the Son of God and the Son of Man, and an awesome thought. I mean, again, you, you women are thinking you have a child and this is one is is God in the flesh. God's son, but also your son. But of course we know she did not have a complete understanding of God's plan of salvation. She didn't have that. Not like we do. We are blessed at this time 2,000 years later to be able to look back. We can look back, and, and now we see clearly. We see clearly Christ was the Savior. Christ was the Redeemer. Christ was a mediator. He was the one to come between holy God and sinful man, and by his blood shed then God's justice was satisfied. So God then could declare us righteous. He could save us from our sin. And so we see then God worked through this one person. God worked through Mary. Eighth, we see that God used John the Baptist. Again, we're talking about events, people, things coming before the birth of Christ. And John the Baptist turned to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. Again, it's, it's really encouraging and to see how God uses one person. But, but in all this, remember, you're one person. You're one person. And God has special plans for you to affect the people that he puts in your world. But here's John the Baptist, one person. He was the forerunner. Verse 3 of chapter 40, A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground become a plain, and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all flesh will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this is prophesying that a forerunner, An advanced man would come before Jesus, publicly announcing to the people that this Messiah was coming. And you go back and you look at the the early pages of the Gospels. they, They were coming from all over. Must have been thousands and thousands of people coming to hear this John the Baptist talk about this Messiah. And so this prophecy then, Isaiah 40, you look at Luke 3, also look at Matthew. This prophecy comes true. For here comes John the Baptist. He's, his, he's preaching, and his purpose then is to, is to prepare people's hearts, to get people ready, to tell people about the Messiah he's coming. That, that was the point. And, and, and what you see there, one of the main themes there, is he was declaring to people their sin, because he knew that for people to turn to Christ, they had to first turn away from their sin before they could turn to him. So that's what he's doing. That's John the Baptist. Ninth we see that Christ came into the world at the right time. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So we're talking about how this Old Testament, I've mentioned many things here briefly, are all moving and working and leading towards the birth of Christ. And, but then it says it's the right time. And I'm going to just share a few reasons why I believe it's the right time. Galatians 4 goes on to share, and I'm not going to look at it here. Other verses do as well, that the law, and here's the point, the law as explained in the Old Testament had accomplished its purpose of showing man his utter sinfulness. And God then was ushering in, at that time, a new era of redemption. New era. That's what's going on. So the law, hey, you guys are sinners. All these sacrifices, all these Millions of sacrifices. You're sinners. You need a savior. you are going to be thinking, I'm coming. That's, that's the first point. Secondly, during the time of the Jewish kings, this is very interesting. You go back and you read the prophets and, and, you, and Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these prophets. There's so much idolatry going on. And during the time of the kings, we're talking, you know, you had Solomon and David and all those guys. Hezekiah. There's the sin that's talked about, primarily so in the prophets, is their sin of idolatry. Okay, lo and behold then, they get exiled around 600 B.C. around then and they go to Babylon as it says in Jeremiah they're gone for 70 years 70 years and they come back what's amazing is they're not in general as a country sinning by you know worshipping idols that doesn't happen they come back 500, 520 B.C. you got Nehemiah, you got Ezra you got all these different people coming back and they were worshipping the one true God. I'm not saying they're all believers, but, but that's what was happening. I mean, a lot of you raised in churches, you know, that you may not have been a believer, but you were worshiping one God. And that's what was going on then too. the people. Again, not all godly somewhere. They were worshiping one God. That is what happened. So in a sense then, in that sense, they're ready for the Messiah. In that sense. So that, that's an, it's an interesting point. Thirdly, the Jews had built synagogues in that Four or five hundred years before he was born, all over Israel and outside of Israel in other countries. And the and the synagogues were two main reasons, purposes. One, to worship God, and also as schools for both adults and for children. They were schools. And so you can see how this then, the synagogues, really facilitated the preaching of the gospel. And if you go to Acts, you'll see this time and time again with Paul, he'd go different places, whether it's Israel or some other country, and he'd go first to the synagogues. So it really worked. The building of all those synagogues was a sovereign thing of God for the gospel then to be preached. That's, that's what took place. Fourth, the Old Testament had been completed by Ezra. It's hard to know exactly when, what year. None of us really know. Was it 450 B.C.? But some point like 400, 500. It was completed. And, and, and the Old Testament portion was essential, too, for the preaching of the gospel. Whether we think about Jesus and what did he share with those two men in the road from Maus, it was from the Old Testament. Or we, talk, we read about Paul and you read there in Acts and he's going someplace and he's sharing people the word of God. He's sharing Old Testament. He's sharing the kind of things I'm talking about today. That's what he was doing to prove that this Jesus was the Christ. That's what was going on, you see. So that was really important that, that the Old Testament portion was completed. And it was. Fifth, there's the Greek language. You guys know this, established by Alexander the Great. I mean, he didn't write it, but he's the one that made sure it was the common language. He was Greek all over the world. And so when you have the New Testament, I mean, what did Paul write it in? What did the other write it It was in Greek. That was the common language. And, and I, I just took one year of Greek, but I know enough about it. Very precise language. Man, the grammar, the the verbiage, it's very precise, unlike the Old Testament. And the precision that God wanted to be in his New Testament word, talking about the gospel and what salvation means or redemption means or propitiation. Tons of truths, very specific. God wanted the Greek to be used. Okay, So you have this common language. And this, again, facilitated not just the preaching of the gospel, but then the writing of the New Testament word of God, you see. That's what's going on. And it was just the perfect time. Alexander the Great was around, what, 300 B.C. or so, and that was common language. Next, this one, and you've heard this probably in your history classes. Rome had established Pax Romana. just means a Roman peace. And it provided economic and political stability throughout the world. That's what was going on. And not only that, but the people in general, I'm not saying perfectly so, but felt free and safe to travel on the roads. I'm not saying there were no robbers but it was a, it was a general a peaceful time it was a very stable time again we know that romans were against the jews we read there in the time of jesus but in general it's a very peaceful time in history for christ to come so that's what we're saying These just six points here the fullness of time had come god was getting everything ready for the birth of his son very very encouraging to see what god was doing again and it's a I still, it still just sort of blows me away. The, the mammoth work detail of God's greater the works of the Lord. And we're just doing a really quick study this morning to give you the big picture. Here's the point. I want you to just think about this. Look back. We see how God carried out his plans to bring about the birth of his son. And it's, it's really encouraging. God's in charge. God is sovereign. Every person, every detail, the enemy attacks, all the things that took place, God brought it all about to bring about the birth of a son at the perfect time, at the perfect time. i we conclude you probably know where I'm going we're 2,000 years later we're a lot closer to the second coming of Christ than the first coming and you have to think put yourself in the shoes of some of the people back then, Mary, Simeon Anna, Zechariah you're here today and Christ is coming soon He's coming back. He wants us to be awake, and he wants us to be alert. There's no doubt Mary was one of those people, and the others I just mentioned were some of those people who were excited and expecting Christ to come. I cannot help but think that he used those kind of people. So, too, we need to be ones who are excited. Christ is coming, and we need to be doing the work that God wants us to do. Think about that. He's coming soon, the rapture, the judgment of the world. He'll save a remnant of Jews, and then he'll set up his kingdom on this earth. I believe it will be sometime this century. I, I, I think the th- way things are going on, and, and I've shared it before, but I, I've not shared you barely anything of what I'm really thinking, but the things that are taking place in this country and this world in just the last two years, three years is phenomenal. I just heard somebody yesterday, and he was talking, explaining basically about the downfall of the United States and how the countries we used to be working with, they're now going other places. So here you have Xi Jinping in China. He's going down to Saudi Arabia. And so they're, they're, they're giving up on us, okay? The point is the time is close, and Christ is coming back. As it says, Romans 22, Revelation twenty two twelve. Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me to render to everyone according to what they've done. I'm coming soon. My reward is with me to render to everyone according to what they have done. And you have a job to do. This amazing verse. I, I think it's amazing. Mark 13. And so we focused this morning on the birth of Christ, the first coming of Christ. But I can't, I cannot, I have to share with you about the second coming. And God has us alive this time. Mark 13. Because one of the things that's in my mind is, is God. Got a a job for us to do, each of us here at this time. Each of us. 1334. It's like a man away on a journey. That's Christ. He's away on a journey. He's gone. He's up in heaven. That's the whole point there. Who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge. We're in charge. We're the slaves he's talking about. We're in charge. Assigning to each one his task. Each one. Each one of us have our job to do. Each one. Last point is very interesting. Assigned to each one his task. Also commanding, commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Who's the doorkeeper? I don't know who the doorkeeper is really. I just think that there are certain people in this generation that God says, "Hey, I want this person to really be awake," and he's helping the rest stay awake. Got to be doorkeepers. Maybe all of you are doorkeepers. I don't know. We you're in a church that teaches about this much much more so than other churches. You have your tasks. You might also be a doorkeeper. You're sort of watching. When's he coming? You're aware of what's going on in the world. You're sensing things. You're seeing things. You're talking to the saints. We need doorkeepers. We need workers, and we need doorkeepers. As it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, we We're to be ones who are watching, well, working and waiting. That's what it says. Anyway, we're blessed as believers. Christ came the first time. He's coming again. We should be very thrilled to know that we're God's children and that by his grace, he saved us. By his mercy, he saved us. That we can live for him, that our lives can count. You all know all kinds of people that are just out there doing their thing and their lives are worthless apart from Christ. And we need to pray for them. We need to talk to them. We need to tell them, hey, God wants to save you. He'll tell them about Christ and the gospel indeed that's what our job is too at this time but let's pray let's thank the lord father thank you so much for this time we bless you for your great love for each one of us thank you for this truth lord of what you did sending your son and it was amazing work and 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 i we don't know the half of it i barely shared anything there's so many details all the details and god you're in charge now we're in this church it's gone on for about two thousand years and live in the end times we know that you're sending your son soon back to this earth and we look forward to that we really like that idea as we understand what goes on in our own flesh and our own weakness and inability and struggles and also we see what's going on in the world around us We, we thank you lord just help us encourage us strengthen us lord we need your grace your grace is sufficient Sometimes we feel weak and sometimes we feel tired, but God, you help us. Thank you for this church here and everyone here, ones who couldn't make it today. We ask for your blessing upon them as well. Do pray for Barb, who's up in Ocala now, Lord. Pray for her special grace and mercy and peace upon her life. But thank you again for each one here. Help us, Lord, to to, to be excited about this season, but also to be excited about the fact that we live in that time, that season. Before you send your son back to this earth, so lead us, guide us, use us for your purposes and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to share some two things really quick. I've got uh, Barb um, Stebbins' address here. If anybody wants it, I got it here in a her sheet. If you want to send her a card or something, or you know, you can give her a call too. There's a phone number down here. Also, I wanted to mention too that uh, you saw might if you looked at the bulletin. Uh, schedule. I'm not teaching on the 5th, not on the 6th, what is that, the 8th, 8th of January, because I'm having surgery again, okay, so I just wanted to update you on that to know why, but let me explain briefly, because somebody wants well, what's going on, well, I've got back problems, and there's a couple different things, and I'll share the one thing here, it's, 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 it's my lower back, my lumbar area, it's like you take a water hose, got a water hose, and it's running, and you step on it really hard, what happens, you stop the flow of the water, so What's going on in my back, L3, L4, or 5 is the nerves are being stepped on, okay, so that the energy, however the energy from nerves works, is not going down to the legs like it should, and it causes pain and problems and other kind of stuff. And so this particular surgery, which is on the L3, is called laminectomy, is just to relieve the pressure, just to take that foot off. That's the whole point, and then the legs will feel hopefully somewhat better. So that's all. So just just, just pray for that. But uh, the Lord is good. We all have different struggles. I want you to understand, you know, because I had surgery in 2015, 2020, now again. Is there just problems back there? But God is good. He knows what he's doing. All of you probably have some kind of ailments, and God gives us grace. Thanks.
1: Activity-wise, Steve Altman mentioned earlier the sing-along this evening, um, fellowship time. So if you're able to come out, I said evening, it's actually 4.30. So uh, it's getting a little dark earlier, but not quite 4.30. Uh, So if you're able to come out, have a good time singing Christmas songs. And if you want to bring some food, uh, we all like to eat, that's for sure. So (laughs) anything or foods, bring that along with you. This week, we will not have any Wednesday meeting. Um, We will be meeting next Sunday on Christmas Day, so show up for that. The following week, we'll resume our Wednesday uh, Bible study times on the uh, 28th, so keep that in mind, and and just a reminder, this is a good time of year. People are more open to being invited to church and or receiving a gospel tract, so just maybe uh, uh, initiate with someone to invite them to church next Sunday or grab one of our gospel tracks and share that with somebody so just an opportunity with the, the time of year keep that in mind and now we have our last songs and uh, offering wise At the box on the back table there or give online or mail it in to us so thank you
2: I'm excited about Christmas falling on a Sunday. That's pretty cool to be able to come and worship. Uh, I can't remember. I guess it's probably been seven or eight years ago. It's happened. It probably happens every seven. I don't remember. Anyway, uh, the praise team would like to share another special with you, if you don't mind. Um, great Christmas, probably one of them, the uh, most famous Christmas carols, Silent Night. So... Um, Again, as Steve's talked about, all listen to the words and realize uh, that the greatest gift of all came on that Christmas morning, that silent morning.
3: Silent night
2: Christmas carols, but this could come as close as you're going to get. Oh, come all you faithful. It's an encouragement to all of us as faithful believers, as faithful uh, workers, to let the world know that Jesus Christ has come and to invite them with us to adore him and worship him. Oh, come let us adore him.
3: i Adore Him, Christ the Lord. Sing choirs of angels. Sing in exultation. O sing, all ye citizens of heaven.